Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hey listeners, and welcome back to the return of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Patch, and with me, as always, is my best friend and co-host Aaron. Hello, long time no see. <laughs> uh, for real, it has been a minute, to say the least. Uh, we have been struck by something that is just, I mean, how have you been with all this? Well, I, you know, it's been, I think, two weeks, maybe just over since yeah. our last recording. It feels like it's been months, to be honest. It does. It just does not feel like it's only two weeks to me. It has been a long 14 days or so. Yeah, when you get used to doing these things weekly, biweekly, just when it's a regular thing, uh, which we've loved doing, it, it, it's weird. You know, I went to bed last Sunday or the first Sunday night that we weren't recording and said, this is weird. I'm going to actually get a full eight hour sleep. And then my company said, stay home. And I'm like, wait a minute. This doesn't, no, 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 no. I'm supposed to earn my sleep for not necessarily doing the podcast, but it's been weird too. I haven't, I haven't just, been in this flow of being able to hang out and talk with you just in general we've been boxing here and there but it's just it's been an adjustment for sure yeah it has and i'm you know i think we're both in quarantine essentially status um, i'm in seattle where we're locked in officially um, by governor order but it doesn't really apply to me since I'm an essential business. Uh, I provide childcare with the YMCA. I don't do it myself, but I'm part of the leadership there. So I've still been going into my office every day for the most part. Um, that should be changing this week. I should be able to start working from home some, which I'm excited about. But it has just been very stressful. I've been playing a lot of games. Uh, that's been helping me out. I've still been watching movies, but not anything new, obviously, because yeah. there is nothing really coming out. Yeah. Um, so that's weird. It's an adjustment. And, you know, I think that there is a way I feel refreshed. I've really I needed the break, I think. And just mentally going through those two weeks has been really tough to kind of process the changes as they come and just be exhausted. And so I feel good about being back and, you know, letting us have the opportunity to take this in a new direction for a little while and kind of maybe after this episode, which was already planned, we can figure out what we're going to do and cover some movies that people love because yeah. we have the opportunity now. We had we had you on Regal Unlimited, go figure, and we had our schedule stopped with theatrical releases like all year long, starting like right now, <laughs> <laughs> of course. And so, yeah, so it's all up in the air, but I'm glad that we're getting to do this on opening week. Technically, baseball started, well, it would have started last week, sadly. Well, if you're if, if you're a fan of Major League Baseball like we are, um, you can cherish the fact that we are covering what is our donor pick for March, a league of their own. It's going to help us cope with the lack of baseball that we are getting at least for two weeks, probably longer, the delay of uh, of opening day. And in case you're interested, uh, MLB Network, if anybody you, uh, has MLB Network through YouTube TV or your regular cable provider, every day they're showing some marquee games from years past that um, if you're interested in that, so you can kind of get your MLB fix. But if you're into good movies, there are obviously a ton of baseball movies, this being one of them, and that's what we're going to be talking about this week as we get back into the Feel and Film podcast world. 
As we always do, we talk in-depth, spoilerific stuff. So you'll want to make sure that you've either seen the movie to come back and join the conversation or be okay with the fact that we're going to spoil the heck out of this. So consider that your warning as we get into our one-word takeaways. Aaron, get us started, sir. Well, I came away from this with the word liberation kind of banging around in my head. And, I mean, obviously, because the main plot is essentially a... Rosie the Riveter, women can do anything that men can do plot. This is a story about women stepping into men's shoes to play, or cleats, I guess I should say, to play baseball and fill that void when Major League Baseball is shut down due to the war, which is incredibly ironic in a way that we're covering this right now. Not that there's women leagues that are, you know, popping up to replace men's leagues during the coronavirus outbreak, but a sport was shut down. And this is the first time we've ever, had to, I mean, we've had to deal with this in like a prolonged way. It's a big deal. And so back when this happened, there was a loss of the same things that we're having now, which is revenue for team owners. And so Philip Wrigley, I believe, is the person that this is actually based around. Uh, Harvey, the character of Harvey, the team owner, wanted to recoup some of that. And so, you know, here we have these women who are, getting this opportunity, even if it's for kind of the wrong reasons, they're having this chance to go do something that they love that they have not previously been given the opportunity to do. And so they're able to kind of be liberated and get this freedom from a domestic life, if they want it, that America has reserved for them or told them this is what you can do. This is all you can do. But it's also about Kit who is essentially getting liberated from her sister's shadow by the end of the story and fighting through that, trying to get through this life of, you know, always being second to Dottie. And then there's Jimmy, who is essentially not necessarily intentionally, but by the end, becoming liberated from his oppression and his alcoholism and finding a new respect for others who love the game as much as he did even if they aren't the same gender. And I, I mean, this is a fun way to tell a true story. So, I mean, this is not all perfectly true, but it is definitely based on factual, a league that existed during World War. There was actually a Racine team. Like, much of this is historical. Uh, but they do it in a really, you know, com comedic way, obviously. And it yet... Patrick, when watching it, some of the fact that we're using sex and Americana to sell it because it's women, yeah, that still happens, and it's 2020, which is ridiculous. So, you know, it also highlights, I think, there's a lack of liberation as well, and that's because we specifically see that even though America is in a time period where women are getting this opportunity, it's only white women. And it's a very brief moment in this movie, but we do get a very, very specific scene that is meant to show us that, hey, there's this black woman who clearly loves the game and has a talent to her. She can throw a baseball incredibly hard and incredibly accurate, and she's looking on longingly. And it's reminding us that even then, you know, there was segregation within the supposed advancement of women's lib. It was only some women at the time. So... Yeah, liberation for me is kind of the word that encompasses this whole thing. 
mine ties into that pretty well. It's the word respect. And it is a dual purpose word for me. Penny Marshall, I think, deserves a lot of respect as a female director. Back in the, the 90s when this came out, I don't know that there were a lot out there besides Catherine Bigelow doing her thing with Point Break. But seeing a movie like this and seeing it centralized around an all-female cast with the exception of a handful of other stars and whatnot, I gained a lot of respect for it recently, um, not for any particular reason, but just in the landscape that we're living in of just wanting to see more representation of all different types, not only with people of color, but also with women and that kind of thing. And it also is a movie that shows and pays respect to the game of baseball in different ways and to the power that women have uh, beyond just their looks, but to be empowered. And so in a lot of ways, a league of their own represents a level of respect that Marshall gives this league of women in the the 1940s, uh, 30s and 40s, that power to be able to influence in ways that could potentially and did poten- did actually change, maybe not completely, maybe <laughs> there's still a lot that needs to be changed, but at least got a large ball rolling in a way that said, look, anything you can do, we can do as well. And I think A League of Their Own is one of those films that could in a lot of ways, be considered kitschy. It could be considered cute. But I think in different ways, it still sends that powerful message that we need to value those that aren't like us as men, value women and the power that they have to be able to tell good stories and to represent in a way that is a, in, in some ways very little, in some ways a lot, different than the stereotypes that were given. And so I, I can respect this movie a lot more as an adult, uh, much more than I did when I saw this as I think a freshman in high school. I enjoyed it then. I enjoy it now. But I can definitely appreciate that, which kind of leads into the first question I had for you. Is this your first time seeing this or is this one that you have seen a number of times? If it has, uh, if it was your first time, would you think? And if not, how does it hold up after almost 30 years? I was going to say, you don't care what I think if it wasn't my first time. This is going to be a short yeah, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> if it wasn't your first time, we'll just end it right now because, you know, it doesn't matter. No, no. Rewatches don't count. Uh, I don't even know. When did this come out? 90s? Mid-90s? Early 90s? 90, 93, I believe. Yeah, well, that feels about right because I was telling you, you were saying to me as we were texting while we were watching it, of course, separately, and I was talking about how you know, Tom Hanks looks like a is weird him being a villain and you were like oh he's and he's really young too and i was like ah he, he looks like forrest gump and i guess that's why because it came out a year before forrest gump i would i think 94 is when forrest gump anyway i'm getting sidetracked somewhere around then uh yeah no not the first time i've seen the movie at all i know that i saw it as a teenager when i was in high school but i didn't remember anything other than the general plot of the film i knew that there was a manager who was a former player who was a jerk and didn't want to be there and there was this women's team and it was this awesome miraculous like story of overcoming the odds and yada yada and i didn't remember how much of a comedy it was to be honest 
so where do I stand on it now? I, so I didn't remember it super fondly. Uh, our Facebook group has had a lot of fun joking with me because people have really strong feelings about this movie, apparently. And, and there's quite a few people out there that absolutely love it. And my kind of meh response to them has been taken as me not liking it for some reason. And so it keeps getting, oh, do this movie. We, we want to hear you. Well, I'm, I'm still pretty mad on it, Patrick. I, I will say that I enjoyed this movie, but I think that it has dated and it has not necessarily aged well in quite a few ways. And the main things here for me that stick out are this opening section of the movie and then get and it comes back to the same style at the very end of the movie. They are what I would say is just complete. It feels out of place to me. The middle section of the movie, and I would say like maybe let's break it into fifths. So let's say a fifth at the beginning and a fifth at the end. And then like three fifths in the middle, three fifths in the middle is just a rambunctious, fun, great, just comedy little bits of you know story drama there but it's really just a, a happy kind of adventurous exploration of them playing the sport and going through this period of time but the setup is feels overly dramatic and i can't believe i'm going to say this but like hans zimmer's score while it's a pretty piece of music it contributes to this and for me it puts me in that very specific 90s drama frame of mind and i feel like i'm watching like beaches or something and so then when we shift to like pure comedy for a long time it's it's a little off kilter for me and then it, the same thing kind of happens toward the end i'm just i don't necessarily love the end of this movie i can tell you why later i can tell you why now but i guess I'll just, it boils down to i don't buy it <laughs> there are some weird things happening at the end of this movie where I guess for me, when it comes to sports films, I really like stories about athletes who overcome odds because of hard work. And they've always had the talent, but they needed to, to hard work to bring it out, right? What I see in this movie is a what I consider a pretty annoying character of Kit. And... For her to storm off, leave teams, or, you know, and end up in this, like, incredibly perfect scenario, right, at the end of this movie, where every, not only does everything kind of work out once, because it happens where Kit's pitching, and you get kind of, you get the climax with Kit pitching, and them getting a hit off of her and taking the lead, but then you have to go through another climax of Kit getting a chance of redemption in the same game. It's too much for me. And frankly, because Kit is a character that has never hit a high fastball in the entire game, I don't believe for a second that she magically suddenly mans up, woman's up and hits this World Series winning hit. That's not how life works. You know what I mean? It's, it's not like athletics. It's something that I like to have seen her show that skill already, but be struggling with something and then be able to show it off. So, it doesn't work perfectly for me. The slow motion dropping the ball actually doesn't bother me. You know, that's part of dramatic storytelling, filmmaking, whatever. I actually think it's kind of fun because it makes you think for a second, is Dottie dropping the ball or is Dottie actually being 
having the ball knocked out of her hand. Like, what is the reason for that ball to fall? I actually am not convinced that Kit knocks it out of her hand and that there is not some semblance of intentional release of grip. That being said, I think that's fun to argue. I think that's what's cool about that scene being shot in slow motion so we can talk about it. But now, those are kind of like the things that I just, I those are like 90s-esque filmmaking styles that I don't particularly love. And some of the dialogue, while it's meant to convey the way in which the era was, John Lovitz's character, man, I take, I, I want him out of the movie. Like, I can't stand him. And I know I'm not supposed to like him, but I have a problem with the fact that some of the things he says are backed by a bouncy, sweet little Hans Zimmer score, and it's not treated as dude, you are a cringy a-hole. Like, when you say, hey, cowgirls, you see that grass, don't eat it. Like, it's treated as if it's just a, ha-ha, that guy's a mean jerk, let's laugh it off, when, like, I mean, that's pretty freaking rude, to be honest. Like, that's a beyond rude. And so, I guess, tonally, that doesn't work for me, but I really love the middle of the movie. I love the characters in this film, I think Madonna's great. I actually like Rosie O'Donnell in a movie, which is completely crazy to me because I'm not a big fan of her. Uh, Gina Davis, I, maybe the best performance she's given. I don't know. I don't, not a super fan of Gina Davis. I'm sure I've seen a ton of her films, but like this one was really, really good performance. Hanks is weird. I'm sure we'll talk about him specifically later. It's just strange and and you can't get your head around it. I think if you're watching this for the first time, like I was in 20 years to be like, wait, that's Tom. That's not Tom Hanks. That's that can't be Tom Hanks. If you just can't, it'd be like watching a Mr. Rogers episode where all of a sudden he's like spitting tobacco and swearing at the kids. And you're like, whoa, whoa, that's not supposed to happen. So there's some culture shock there when you're watching it, but I really enjoyed it overall. And I think that it's, a good story that needed to be told. And this is a a fine way to do it. And I like that it comes from a female filmmaker and her perspective, even if I don't necessarily agree with all of the stylistic stuff. Yeah. You make a lot of great points and, and I'm in agreement with some of them. I think that a movie like this does feel like a nineties movie. And I think that it's a product of the fact that we live in 2020 where for right or for wrong, there's a lot more awareness, sensitivity, whatever you want to call it. And I say sensitivity in the most positive sense towards the world of the underrepresented or the misrepresented. And granted, I was a freshman in high school, so I wasn't thinking about this. I was living in the world of banging in Little Rock and colors and the the types of movies that were coming out had this broad spectrum of subject matter. You had things like Criminal Minds, or not Criminal Minds, but um, I can't remember what the name of the movie was, but you had Dangerous Minds, excuse me, Dangerous Minds, and then you had Forrest Gump, and then you had Rudy, and you have these movies that lived in a decade where they spoke to what was happening at the time, but then those that were speaking on events that happened in the past were trying to articulate a message. And the fact is, Aaron, I think we live in an age where filmmakers, because of the appropriate pressure 
the deliberateness of underrepresentation and the narrative that is being spoken about these types of things are taking a lot more care with how they tell their stories. I don't want to say that Penny Marshall didn't, but there wasn't that kind of pressure to say, look, if you're going to do this, you need to set it in the right tone. You're exactly right. There is a lot of comedy that is in this and it's, it's entertaining comedy. There is fantastic dialogue here and there, but then you get these characters like John Lovitz, who I have no problem with because this is John Lovitz being John Lovitz. Like this is who he was on Saturday Night Live. He's completely a douche. And it's just his loud character that I think Penny Marshall said, let's bring him in and just be himself because that's who we want to portray this stereotype of representing that type of man who thought that women were just this. I mean, there were fat jokes <laughs> that were made. There were three or four different jokes towards the character of Marla about her ugliness that were not at all subtle by men and women. And so there were a number of things in this movie that today you're thinking, no, 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 that's not going to fly. That's ridiculous. But taken in context with what Penny Marshall and the screenwriters were doing, I don't have a problem with it, not because it should be forgiven because it took place in the 90s, but because of the fact that there wasn't this kind of pressure, there wasn't this kind of emphasis to say, look, if you're going to say, if you're going to tell this story, if you're going to make this message clear, you better make sure you're doing it right. So I just want to just specify and clarify that I don't think that it is a wrong choice in the sense of she didn't make the movie correctly because she portrayed people over the top without doing it these other ways. I'm just saying it affected my personal enjoyment of watching the movie in 2020. So I just to be clear that I'm not saying Penny Marshall is a bad filmmaker because she made the choices that she made. I get them. I do. And you're absolutely right. Like you're, I mean, we, it's not like that doesn't happen now. Every movie that Kevin Hart's in, it's because he's Kevin Hart. Right. And now that's Ryan Reynolds too. Every movie he's in, it's Ryan Reynolds being Ryan Reynolds. So you have to kind of expect that, but it affects my enjoyment of it now because of context and just my perspective has changed from maybe what it would have been when I watched this as a teenager. And I would have laughed at things that now I don't find funny. I find them hurtful. And so it's just a different perspective. doesn't mean that the movie is wrong. No, I agree. And I think that you made a great point in describing Tom Hanks, your surprise of his character and actually using the example that you used was Mr. Rogers smoking a cigar and telling the kids to do whatever. The fact is, we know Tom Hanks 20 years later with this filmography and this personal life and this America loves him and the world loves him kind of mentality. And we think this is the weirdest thing because he is a complete jerk spitting tobacco and telling somebody that they look like a penis with a hat on. These are things you would not expect, quote, Tom Hanks to say. But why is that? Because we know Tom Hanks in 2020. If you saw him in 1993, he had or was having you know, Forrest Gump come up. He also was in Big. He had a couple like Bachelor Party was one of his early movies as a as a funny guy. He was also in Bosom Buddies. So we see a career prior to that where we're like, yeah, it makes sense that Tom Hanks is playing this role. So it really does come down to understanding perspective where I think what you're saying really speaks to 
a movie subjectively holding up or not holding up for a particular person because what we have is almost 30 years of context, 30 years of storytelling, 30 years of experiences and having a better understanding of what it means to effectively tell a good story about representation of women or representation of, of black people. Um, and you look at a, a movie like this and I think it sets a tone for like, not a movie shouldn't be made like this, but this was a movie that was made during a time when this message and the way it was told was acceptable. I don't want to ask the question because I don't want to have that discussion on, could you make this story 30 years later? Okay, I'm going to answer the question. I think you can, but the tone would be completely different. I don't know that you can make it a comedy because I think there's too much subject matter that is tackled and needs to be effectively tackled in a way that represents and respects. If you're going to do something like create a John Lovitz character, you're going to have to make him not comedic. You're going to have to make him gross and completely um, unlikable yeah. because – that's the culture we live in. That's no fault to Penny Marshall. That's no fault to a league of their own. And so for me, I think it holds up as a film perfectly well because of the fact that it's just that. One thing that gives it the forgiveness from, from my standpoint is the fact that we're not talking about actual people. This is not a biopic. This was inspired by this girls all American league that existed. Yes, there was a team that was represented by Rockford, but Dottie Henson's character, Kit, Jimmy Dugan, none of these characters actually were real people. They were representations of a time, which I think really gives it a lot more credibility because Penny Marshall was saying, I want to tell a story about this time period and I want to craft it around these characters that would represent the types of people and do it in a way that gets people laughing. And so when you have a cast like that, when you have Madonna and Rosie O'Donnell and Gina Davis and Tom Hanks and John Lovitz, that is a good cast of people to bring together for a comedy. And as a side note, Aaron, you have a dark heart of soul, you know, for comedy. So I knew this wouldn't, you know. Yeah, okay, wait, no, I'm just no, no, no. Like I, <laughs> <laughs> just, I'm just messing with you. This is not a modern raunchy comedy that I don't. I like this movie, and I. I wanted to get all of that kind of negativity stuff out of the way up front yeah. about why I don't love it because it's been a thing in our Facebook group that people have talked about to me and they've wondered like why, well, this is why now I've put it out there to the masses and you can see why I don't like it. But what I, I do like what you're talking about and I, I would love to see another version of this story told that was a biopic that was more dramatic and less and more dramatic I, I say that, I mean more dramatic in one way, like the overall tone, but with less overly dramatized, miraculous events at the end of a single ball game, right? Where it's about the winning and the losing and such. And it's just about the fact that the league exists and what some of these people went through. But I think that it's great. I think that she makes her point. I mean, we get to see what women go through. You mentioned the sexism showing up in the way that they look. I mean, this is very real. This is what happened. They were supposed to play baseball in skirts. And I love how they're like, what are you talking about? You want us to play in, in that? And they're like, you either play in that or you don't play at all. So they're not really being given a full opportunity here. They're given this opportunity, but it has strings attached, right? 
and it's still men pulling the strings. It's men exploiting women in a different way in order to get what they want, which is revenue. It's not about giving the women a chance to do what they love. That's the selling point, right? One of my favorite characters in this movie is, I think his name is Ira. I can't remember what his name is in the movie, but he's the guy who's the PR man. And it was almost my connecting point because we get to the the moment at the end where, toward the end, where Harvey is saying, you know, we're not going to bring them back next year because baseball is going to be back. You know, the, the men are going to be here from the war and it's just business. And Harvey says, I love these girls, but I don't need them. And Ira wants to take over the league at that point because he has come to believe. He says, I sold your product when there wasn't a product. This is a product. And he's saying that, but like he really believes in them and he knows it matters for them. And so I love how this shows us those kind of characters existed too. Like those people existed in the world and it takes one, two, three to get the ball rolling before those stands do fill up. You know, we still see this all the time, Patrick, with like women's basketball is a perfect example. If you ask me, women's NBA has hard, had a very hard time taking off because it is played differently than the men's game. The men's game is all flash. It's all dunks and athleticism. That's what gets people excited on the highlight reel. What the women can bring, though, is they also have elite shooting that the men do. So I actually found myself this year for the very first time, the Razorback team, the women's team, was incredible. Like, it, they were basically like a female version of the Golden State Warriors. They were just speed and threes, and it was awesome to watch. And I have really noticed like a difference in that product. But I have friends who are huge NBA fans that will not give it a chance because it's women and because it's not quite the same thing, right? And so Dottie Henson may be hitting a home run, but it's not going as far as the home runs that Jimmy Dugan hit. You know what I mean? And so I think that those subtleties are really brought out by Penny Marshall in the way that she tells this story. And that's where it shines for me in that whole middle section. It's because you get a sense of how the world was operating in that time perfectly. And it wasn't about the fact that it wasn't just about the fact that America didn't want to see baseball. They didn't want to see women in baseball because it wasn't some, they would have to get reeducated, Aaron. I mean, what you're saying is true. It's a different way to digest a familiar thing. So it's kind of like when I try to get my kid to eat vegetables He's not going to eat the plate of broccoli there, but if I throw cheese on it or say, hey, dip it in ranch, I've now presented it to him in a different way. He likes dipping his carrots in ranch, but he won't eat it plain. It's just smart, a smart man. He's a smart man, you know, <laughs> and broccoli those, and cheese, too. I mean, that's the exactly. way I eat it. <laughs> Why he doesn't like macaroni and cheese. I don't know. We're about to probably disown him if he doesn't start, you know, he'll do anything. I hope he does. My Maybe heart. he's just. Keto, he's going carb free. <laughs> yeah, he eats he eats pepperonis and cheese all the time, so I guess that's yeah, the case. There we go. Anyway, I digress. But you're right. There is this great moment when Ira Lowenstein, the guy that you mentioned, uh, is looking and panicked at one point. He says, "We're not doing good." They're looking. I, I don't remember specifically what he says, but essentially he says they're probably going to shut us down. And he's like, "Can you just give them a thrill? Can you just give them something to report on?" And for some people, 
that could be taken like, why don't you just let them play the game? Why can't they just play the game? That should be enough. No, it's not, Aaron. It's not enough just to throw strikes and just to hit home runs. And there is a fantastic example that sets off this great montage of successful games. It's when Dottie catches the foul ball, but she does the splits. Leave it to you to find the montage and bring it up. I love the montage. I love a good montage. It's a has a, holds a special place in my heart. You know this. But when you look at that, you have to give Dottie credit. You have to give those girls credit because they're saying, look, we love the game of baseball, but in order for this to be a sellable thing, it has to look different. It can't be home runs and RBI and ERA. I, on on the baseball side of things, I'm a huge, I say huge fan, I'm a big fan of women's softball. I love fast pitch softball because of the fact that it's played differently. I mean, yes, it's the same basic sport as baseball, but the way they throw the ball is really interesting. So instead of having a sinker, they have a rise ball. And the way in which they cheer and chant in the dugouts, they have rallies. You know, there's no, I don't think there's a professional softball league that exists. But when the College World Series comes around and LSU hopefully is in it along with the Razorbacks, I'm looking on the other end of that to see when the Women's College World Series to see what's happening on the fast pitch softball because there's a lot of nuances that are really interesting. Aaron, there was a pitcher, and I think I told you this, I think it was a year ago when we were watching the Women's College World Series. There was a woman from like Arizona State who had pitched 115 pitches the day before and had come back and pitched another 85. That yeah. doesn't happen in baseball. You throw 115 pitches, you're probably not pitching for another week. And so little things like that that allow me to appreciate a sport that is played slightly differently but that's something I'm familiar with. And I think that's what America – and what in this instance, in this movie, Harvey was trying to kind of get it. I mean, he wanted to make money, but I think what Ira saw was it's not just something that's marketable. It's something that's different and something that gives value to America who yes. loves baseball at the time. Yep. And he makes a good comment when he talks to Harvey wanting to take over the league. He says, look, we're just just like we're asking these women to leave the factories to go back home. Now we're asking them to leave the diamond to go do the same. And essentially he was saying it's not the same thing. Going to the factories is that you were filling a spot because you had to make something. And it was going towards the war effort. Baseball, America's pastime, was a sport. It was a place of entertainment. Yes, it was a revenue generator. But for a fan, it was a place to go and enjoy. And what he was doing that I – immensely bad. And I think that this was an actual conversation that happened. I'd like to believe that this was coming from a conversation that whoever was in charge was talking to Wrigley about this and said, look, it's not just about revenue. These women are doing something really valuable and the country is latching onto it. And there's a place to be able to allow this to exist. And for almost 10 years, it did. This American, this women's American baseball league existed for, I think, I want to say it was eight years. That's huge, man. That's huge. And I think that you're right. The women's NBA is one of those fantastic examples of something that is struggling, but is consistently trying to build on itself and finding ways to make itself marketable and in some ways make itself stand out from its male counterpart. That may be something that is constantly dealt with, not only in sport, but in other places of saying, 
not just women can do something better than men or equal, but they have to be different in order for it to be something that is equally as valuable. As we look through the movie, Dottie Henson is the focal point. I guess we could say she's the main protagonist. I guess her relationship with Kit would be that thing. But she's the anchor. I mean, she's the most talented, arguably the most adored, and yet she's the only one that seemingly who is willing to go back and, quote, make babies as opposed to being part of what was going on, uh, this change in women's value and perception, the, the whole baseball league thing. She seems to be the only one, and I think it's deliberate, who isn't necessarily putting her hand in the face of all this, but is saying, look, I don't want that. But you see this stark contrast between her and Rosie O'Donnell's character, who is having this great conversation on the bus, talking about her interesting-looking boyfriend, Charlie, who is out of work and just tells her to shut up and do her thing. And then eventually she's like, you know what? We're on the road. We're playing baseball. We're doing this thing. And she tears up her picture and throws it out the window. She says, bye, Charlie. And throughout the movie, I think we see a lot of these women who are fighting against going back to that life. And yet Dottie is the one who kind of goes against that. And for, for you, I wanted to kind of find out how does that affect the story and your viewing of it to see her that way? Well, she's married for one thing. Um, some of the women are, we don't necessarily see other married women who are you know, drastically opposed to ever going home again. Um, you know, we see Betty and unfortunately, of course, her husband doesn't make it, but I don't think we have a perfect comparison for Dottie's situation because she's coming into this differently. We also learn right away that Dottie is resistant to doing this in the first place. Kit has to beg her and talk her into it. And essentially she does it, I think more for Kit than she does for herself. She's comfortable with who she is. And I actually think it's pretty important and it's a very fine line. The movie walks in its kind of climax is trying to both want you to feel like maybe Dottie has some semblance of regret or maybe she she wonders what it would have been like, but yet at the same time you're supposed to feel like she's this person of agency who is making these choices. And I, I think it's more the latter. I mean, I really do. I think that's really what we see is that she is important to this story so that we know that women have the opportunity the choice to make right it's not about just give women just let women do it do the do the man's thing because they don't want to do this other thing down with the system of being a domestic stay-at-home mom no some women choose that it's a matter of wanting to have the ability to do that to make that choice to be both athletic and talented and decide that guess what as much as I love this thing, I love this thing more. You and I love podcasting almost more than anything. It's second to real life relationships. You know, you know what I mean? Like you would choose your wife over podcasting. I would choose a significant other if I had one over podcasting because those things are more important to us. And that's the way life is. Like it, you don't always get what you want, right? You can't always have both. And Dottie recognizes that. 
that there is not the life that she wanted to go home and have within the traveling circus of being a professional baseball player for the next several years. And it's all about making choices. So I think it's really good to see that, um, especially kind of juxtaposed against her sister, Kit, who's the antagonist in sort of at times and just desperately wants this. Like she doesn't, she's the prototypical, you know, athlete who grows up just in the backyard throwing the the ball around up against the wall practicing by herself every single night because she wants to get better and she just loves 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 this Dottie is like naturally talented and just happens to be amazing if you know does that make sense yeah and and so i think i think for kit like this is what life this is the this is the end goal this is the achieving of the dream for Dottie, she already kind of had her dream. Her dream was recognized when she finds out that Bill freaking Pullman, out of nowhere, thank you very much, I was not expecting that, <laughs> president of the United States, Bill Pullman, yes. makes it through the war so he can become president <laughs> later. But like he comes home safe. Like That's Dottie's dream coming true, not being a professional baseball player. So, I, I mean, I think that it, it is very important and it is very critical to the story to tell it and have both of those perspectives shown and how they can work together for a common goal when necessary but ultimately like i said hit the viewer on the head by saying hey it's not just about letting them play baseball it's about whatever they want to do is what you want to let women do because you don't have the right to tell them otherwise well i think you're exactly right that penny marshall puts the spotlight on the fact that women are women they are people that can do whatever they want and the choice to go home and make babies and start a family is a great thing to do this is where i think a lot of the bad version of feminism exists where it's an equal opposite of you have to be overly ambitious that being a stay-at-home mom or educating your children from home, which a lot of parents are starting to experience this with where we're at is not as noble as going out into the world and making a lot of money and making a name for yourself. And it's interesting because this story is coming from a director who wasn't shaking mountains or wasn't moving mountains, shaking whatever, shaking something else, but wasn't moving mountains to, uh, make a name for herself. She made a name for herself being an actress on Laverne and Shirley. And now she directs a movie that for a lot of people is a favorite. So there's a little bit of, I guess, irony in the fact that I think of Penny Marshall first as an actor before I think of her as a director. But then when I think of her as a director, I think, wow, there's a lot of talent there that there's life after acting. And I think for the character of Dottie, she knew that her life was progressing, that she didn't just have her moment. Her moment was living life and enjoying the thing that she loved the most, which was being with her husband, Bob, and having a life with him, that that was going to be fulfilling. And here's what I think is pretty fantastic, Aaron, is that at the end of the of the game, and we could argue what that, you know, did she intentionally let it let the ball go or did she not? I I like the ambiguity just like you did. I like the fact that as she's walking through, she takes a pennant. 
because she knows that this is probably going to be it for her, that it's not that she can't do it. I mean, clearly she was in her prime, but that she knew, you know what? That was the life I want. That was a great part of my life. And I'm, I'm good with that. And when you see that juxtaposed against Kit, whose life really hadn't started yet, who had been living most of her life in her sister's shadow, this was what was good for her. And that, that conversation that she said that she had with, with Dottie, she said, look, you have all the time in the world to have kids. It wasn't about time for her. It was about the fact that she wanted to. And at some point in our lives, you and I are going to put down our microphones and we're not going to do this podcast anymore. It may be when we're in the hospital on our deathbeds and we're at our, what, 2000th episode and we're like, you know what, at some point we need to stop this and live our lives the last few moments that we have. Or it could be the old men. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, that's going to be our last episode. That's our last episode. (laughs) (laughs) Calling it right now. But. You know, to be honest, Aaron doesn't know I'm going to say this, but when we took the break a couple of weeks ago, I had thoughts. Are we going to stop? Is that going to be it for us? Because you were and still are in the thick of this whole like reality of COVID-19. And it's just started kind of hitting my world. Not nearly as probably devastating for for me as for you, because you're in such a huge area uh, where that's happening. But I had thoughts. Is this the end? And could I be okay with that? And I thought to myself, you know, we had, it's been a good four years. We're coming up on our, on our four year anniversary here next month. And I had to think to myself, you know, this was good. I could put the microphone down and I can start something new. You, you got this gaming podcast that you're starting up and would I be okay with setting that down? I'm glad that we're not. And would there be regrets? I don't think so. There would be sadness for sure. And I think Dottie, had that sadness. I think she was sad to put her glove down and say, you know what? That part of my life is over, but I don't have any regrets about saying no to the rest of it. And I think that's why she could celebrate Kit's victory, not only on the field, but off and saying, look, I want that for you. It made the embrace at the end, I think a little bit more satisfying because it wasn't like they were at odds with each other. They just celebrated the fact that they were both part of something, part of the start of something. Kit just chose to continue that because of where she was in life. And rightly so, Dottie was fine with giving that up. And so I think her character, like you said, is so vital because I think it represents the other side of what a movie like this would have not seen, which is women's liberation and we can do whatever we want. Sure you can. And part of that means you can go home and be a mom and a wife and make babies. And there's nothing... There's and still podcast. No, and that's still a, I love that. I love your uh, comparison there. It's actually really good because I, I mean, I definitely thought about it as well. And I, I mean, seasons of life are changes. Like who knows what's going to happen with the world of movies going forward? How long this lasts? When are theatrical movies coming back? I don't even, I don't think I'm going to come back in the same way that I was before. I think I'm probably going to change. I feel like there's parts of me that are ready to move on from some things. This is not one of them. It may evolve though and that's okay and i love that you made that and he's a perfect comparison and i think for me i will say i my you you hit something that actually is is seriously though one of my biggest problems with it is that is just that kit thing i don't buy that if this thing goes the other way 
And this game, this game ends with Dottie hitting an RBI single that wins the game off of Kit. I believe that Dottie responds the exact same way and then goes home and cares about Kit and nothing changes. I do not believe for a second that Kit responds the same way because if she lost, it's all different. And I don't know how you bring that out in a movie, but it was something that definitely was like very strongly like I felt that and it kind of it was just it was harder for me to buy Kit with her just when I want you to stay, you're leaving. I mean, it's sweet and part of it, you know, does get me. But like when I think about it too much <laughs> for a podcast. So in the moment, it's like one of those like, oh, you know, like you're just watching a movie and then you're going to go on and you're going to like flip on Netflix at the end and it's fine or whatever. But like when I'm thinking about it for the podcast, I was like, oh, it doesn't work for me anyway. But that being that being said, yeah, I I love that Dottie is who she is in this one uh, for sure for that for that reason. Well, the other person that I want to talk about before we get into connecting points is the <laughs> the character of Jimmy Dugan, played by the amazing Tom Hanks. Uh, he's fantastic in this. And as we mentioned before, this is one of those rare times when he plays a jerk. Uh, because for me personally, he's an American treasure. I think when he and his wife sent out their little COVID-19 tweets, message, Instagram, whatever it was several weeks ago, I'm like, you know what? How do you not love the Hanks family? How do you not love Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson? Really, how do you not love Tom Hanks? Uh, it, it makes me more excited to eventually watch A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, even though I wasn't very high on it. But look, if anybody's going to play Fred Rogers, it's going to be Tom Hanks. So I know there's like so many COVID-19 memes going around right now, but do you realize that Tom Hanks was in isolation with Wilson? <laughs> I mean, just just saying. <sighs> Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> I think like a lot of the characters in here, Dottie and and Kit, Jimmy Dugan represents a type of person. And when you when you take a league of their own in that context, just like with the relationship between Dottie and Kit, you can celebrate in the moment that that sweet kind of redemption or reconciliation. Jimmy's character, I think, is tonally on that same level. Like, there's not a ton of like, oh my gosh, he's a complex character. No, he's very much easily digestible as this guy who is on his last legs as a ball. Well, he's not even a ball player anymore, but he loves the game, but he also loves the bottle. <laughs> And Harvey gives him this opportunity. And just like a lot of the tone of the movie, he kind of uses it for comedic reasons. You know, he gets up and Penny Marshall uses him for his comedy in this case, where he takes the job. He's drunk half the time. And what we see throughout the movie is this celebratory change in him. What I liked about this, Aaron, is that it didn't feel – it felt formulaic. Again, this is a movie from 1993, so we've seen this kind of character development arc redemptive story before. But maybe it's because it's Tom Hanks. Maybe it's because it's a comedy. But I really enjoyed watching his character grow and become someone different and value 
not women for being women, but being able to reconcile this idea that baseball can be an inclusive sport, that his love for baseball, his love for this pastime isn't thwarted by these ball players. In fact, early on, I love the fact that he says, I don't have ball players. I've got girls. And one of the great moments in the movie is when he, it's the no crying in baseball conversation. And we laugh about that. And it's probably one of the most quoted lines in cinematic history, at least in the last 30 years. But there's some truth to that because when he's talking to her and he says, there's no crying in baseball, there's no crying in baseball. He's repeating that. It's like he's giving the respect. He is showing this ball player that she's part of a game that needs to be respected. And again, it's played off for comedic reasons and it's, it's played for laughs. But the fact is he wouldn't say that to a girl. He would say that to a ball player. And I think that moment for me solidified this kind of shift in him seeing these women as not just placeholders for a game that he loves, but ball players who actually love the game. Yeah, no, I, he's he's great. Um, he's a perfect companion piece in this film. And I think that's what's beautiful about this movie is that it is not his movie. He doesn't take it over. And it's, you know, Tom Hanks before he's fully, fully Tom Hanks, where he's got to be the star of everything which is good, but he's like an equal part. And in a sense, I think it's really intriguing because we have him being upset as a character, representing a huge part of the American populace that is upset about girls who are playing this sport that is meant for men. And they are in essence, proving the world wrong about whether or not they can do this. And be entertaining. While at the same time, he is not, he, he is showing us, his character is in our face proving to us the divide here and the, the lack of, uh, of an equal treatment because he is not qualified. He is actually not qualified to be a manager at all. Like he hasn't, he's played the game, but he has no managerial experience necessarily. He doesn't act like a manager. And so he has to then prove the women wrong that he can in fact become a manager that earns their respect and has value and adds that to the team and i love that arc i also really really love this part of the so i'm torn on the climax i don't love the climax of the game itself the world series i love his arcs climax though because he doesn't try to get with dotty first of all there's a great scene where they're talking on the bus that I held my breath because I couldn't remember. And I was like, God, please, 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 please. Because in this day and age, they would have flirted. They would have found some spark. It would have led to a divorce or cheating and then reconciliation with the husband later on or some ridiculousness, right? None of that crap. Even though he's a jerk, that never comes into play in this situation. I just, I just really am happy about that in this movie. Um, it's a great scene when they're talking to each other, becoming friends, right? Um, and it's a great piggyback off of 
the amazing moment in the movie where he realizes that Dottie is a better manager than him and she is managing the team or maybe not better, but she is managing the team and he's kind of annoyed that she's getting that credit and that people are looking at her. And so he kind of gets up and like starts to give the opposite sign because he wants them to do the opposite thing. And that's what sort of brings him out of his shell. It's, it's a great, great thing, right? Their relationship throughout. And it ends with his arc not being with him a completely different person. And that's what I like is he doesn't make this miraculous transformation, Patrick. He makes small transformation. He changes. He learns to value people. And he's still kind of a jerk. And he's still not like Kuth. <laughs> you know, like he is, he's still the guy who signs a baseball, don't get the clap, right? And it, his final Walker speech is, you know, amazing. May our feet be swift, may our bass be mighty, and may our balls be plentiful. Like he's still kind of that goofy, not really like, he's kind of, he's just, he's always, he's on the rough on the edges, I guess. You know what I mean? Like when he gives Betty the letter, you can tell he cares now, but it's not like he just comes over and consoles her and is a big ball of empathy. It's different. And so I, I love that about him and his, his character because it's not this, overly crazy oh he's this perfect amazing man now who's totally changed and is a champion for women's lib and he's out there picketing and all this you know you know what i'm saying like there's so many movies that are like that and yeah like you said he is just hilarious the line delivery and the thing that tom hanks doesn't get enough credit for his physical comedy in this movie is off the charts like absolutely facial expression I... this <laughs> <laughs> <It's> ridiculous <laughs> I was talking to my wife. We were watching this movie on Friday and I knew it was coming. And I said, babe, I want you to see this is my favorite Jimmy Dugan moment coming up right here. And it's this kind of reprieve of when I forget her name. Uh, it's the blonde who makes the, the bad throw and, you know, he's getting ready to just yell at her and he's like shaking his fists and he's going, we're going to have to work on the, you know, getting to the cutoff man before next, next year. Se next next season. Yeah. That's one of the best she, moments. Yeah. And she leaves and he just kind of, he, I mean, he's nobody still shaking. He's like, <laughs> he's like, yeah. I, oh, it's, it's great. It's, it's so great. good. It is so good. And that's early Tom Hanks. That is who I remember from, from big. That's who I remember from bosom buddies. His, the way he, emotes is just fantastic and i think that penny marshall when she cast him when he was cast for this i knew that she had that in mind she said look just go all out i'd like to believe that there were lines in the movie that he just ad-libbed like when he <laughs> when he gets on the when he has to drive the bus and he goes by the way i loved you in the wizard of oz i mean <laughs> It is so great. But you're right, Aaron. This movie, along with That Thing You Do, are two of my favorite Tom Hanks performances because of just what you said, that he's not the focal point. He is an, he's an anchor in the movie to help carry it. Yes, Dottie is the focal point, but he adds a level of charisma. He adds a level of comedy, obviously. And the same thing with That Thing You Do. He adds a, he has a layer to the story that, yes, would probably be acceptable without him but he elevates that 
And the fact that he's not the central figure, the fact that he's not the one that the story is focused around allows other people to be the spotlight. And I think that he inserts himself in certain ways that helps push the story along that just make it better. It would be fine without him, but it just makes it better. And I think that speaks to his character as an actor. I think he just makes movies better, whether he is the protagonist or antagonist or whatever it is, or whether he's a supporting character. He just makes movies better. Well, it's that time where we get to talk about that moment in the movie that we connect with the most. Um, Aaron, I believe you and I actually had the same one, which is not uncommon, but it's always fun when when we do, Aaron. So why don't you uh, why don't you lead this one? Yeah, our, our moment is probably not a shocker to people listening who are fans of this movie and wondering well, why haven't you mentioned this yet? <laughs> That's <laughs> usually how that goes. It's Jimmy talking to Dottie when she's about to, as I wrote down in my notes, stealth leave with Bob. Uh, right before the World Series. Again, folks, Bill Pullman. Can't blame her. I would have shockingly left with Bill Pullman, too, if he'd showed up and I didn't know he was going to be there. So it's a really cool moment, I think, because of a couple things. One being that Dottie didn't tell him. Dottie told everybody else. The women clearly knew what was going on. No one really thought anything of it. It tells you something about the mentality of the team as well, that they weren't all up in arms and freaking out. They were just like, Dottie made a choice, and we're going to go on with our business and head to the World Series now. I love the lack of an overreaction, when clearly it's a big deal. She's your best player, probably the best player in the entire league. And again, with the physical comedy, the way that he kind of shakes his head, looks around, like puts his hands on his hips, sort of starts to walk over there, like, is this really, what, what is, what's going on here? You know, like... Are you going to come get on the bus kind of thing? Like, we're leaving. And also part of that character development we were just talking about, right, where it's subtle. It's little changes. That one that you just talked about where he's telling her how to work on the cutoff man instead of screaming in her face. It's it's showing you that change he's going through. And this is is as well. He's clearly, you can see it in his body language. He's worried. He's upset. He doesn't like this. And he's trying to show empathy. He's try as best he can. And it's not perfect. And that's what is makes it beautiful is because he's realistic. <laughs> he's not some movie character, <laughs> which sounds weird, but like he's not fake. He struggles. And he at first is like, okay. And then he comes back and he's like, he gives her the lines. You know, I gave away five years because of my drinking. And now there isn't anything I would, wouldn't give to get that back. And while I think for him that's true, it may not necessarily be true for everyone. But what he does is he also says to her, he says, I, I thought you were a real ball player. And you know, that's the one that where it starts to get in, into your skin. And at first, Patrick, when watching this, I honestly started to kind of cringe a little. And I was like, man, don't guilt her into this because that's what I thought was going to happen. I thought that's where we were trending. And he says, it's what gets inside you and lights you up, which is true. We've seen this. And she says it's too hard. And then that that's the kicker for why it's my connecting point, because this is something that is very personal for me. Is him responding, it's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. The hard is what makes it great. 
And that's how I feel. I have had conversations with a friend just today, to be honest with you, about the gaming podcast, right? Uh, buddies who are who want to give me advice. They're big gamers. We've talked about podcasts. They listen to podcasts. They have all these ideas. And I'm like, well, let's do it. But they can't commit. They can't do the hard, right? Lots of people have the talent or want the end result for whatever the thing is that they're doing, whether it be making a successful podcast or playing professional baseball. But the hard is what makes it great, right? It's the people that are willing to push through when it's difficult, when it's not you wake up and it's it's on autopilot and you have to actually force yourself and you have to make sacrifices in order to get something done. And I think that line is something that anybody who's watching this movie can take away and apply to their own life in literally some situation, some aspect. And so because of that, like that to me is the definition of what connecting point is. It is relatable material in a movie for me. That makes me go, oh, I get it. I'm with you, Dottie. I'm with you, Jimmy. And regardless of what the outcome is, I know that I now have something that I can take away from this to apply to my own life, regardless of what story choice is chosen for narrative purposes. You're spot on with that. And the one thing that stood out to me in that conversation in support of what you were saying is the fact that he talks about baseball as something that gets under your skin that it gets inside you. That could be anything. I mean, not everybody's a baseball fan. Not everybody's a fan of podcasting or of making movies or of the things that give us passion. I've recently been watching, I've got a month subscription. I might actually extend my subscription to the WWE Network, uh, which there might be some wrestling fans out there. I don't watch wrestling regularly at all anymore, but I've gotten hooked on seeing these documentaries and these different kinds of episodic stories that talk about past characters and past events, things that I was experiencing as a fan. And I was talking about this with a friend of mine today. And I said, look, I know it's fake. I know that the outcomes are scripted and that they're predetermined, but that's not the point. And he was in agreement with me. He was like, yeah, I grew up with wrestling. And I thought to myself, you know, when we were wrestling as kids, why weren't we thinking, hey, what we're doing is fake? Because we would hurt each other if we did. And it got me thinking about the fact that I need to be able to respect something before I can actually appreciate it. And when I think about the hard work that goes into movie making or the hard work that goes into sitting down to write or to come up with. A, a solution to a problem, it is hard work. It's absolutely hard work. And I think that we are a culture that loves falling in love with ideas. We love championing ideas, but we're not willing to say, what are we going to do to actually go through with it? And in a world where we're looking at trying to be a racially reconciled country, a rec racially reconciled people, what are we doing in order to actually accomplish that as opposed you know, instead of just saying, yeah, that's a good idea. And oftentimes I think it's easy just to fall behind a good idea and let that be our, our mark. Hey, yeah, I agree with that. I think it's a fantastic thing. Recently watched uh, driving miss Daisy 
And there were parts of it that I was like, yeah, that's still relevant today that you have a character in here who is completely oblivious to the fact that she is a part of the problem because she's not being part of the solution. And anyway, I'm not going to get off that soapbox to say that I think what Jimmy's doing here with with Dottie is not guilting her, but reminding her that if you love something so passionately, finish what you started. Because when she leaves at the end of the World Series, he doesn't say, well, you're giving up something great. He says, no, you're going home with Bob. Okay. Okay. But you at least made that choice knowing that you finished. Job well done. Job well done, right? And it didn't have to be a victory. It just had to be to finish it. And I think that's what he was getting at was saying, look, you put yourself in this position and you're just walking away. No, do you do yourself a favor. You owe it to yourself to finish, not win, not lose, but finish. And the fact that she comes back, the conversation that he has with her, that little back and forth, like, wait, who said who said who said you can play? And she goes, well, I don't have to play. Well, you know, you're dressed, you know, whatever. It's that. I mean, you know what the with the chemistry, you know what that is. It's like, oh, yeah, she's definitely going to play. And there's part of me, the realistic person's like, uh, no, she shows up the last game. No, you can't do that. That's not that's not cool. But, you know, it's a movie. It's good. Whatever. Uh, wrap it up in a nice little bow. But, yeah, it's it's a great moment in the movie. And I think it's it's definitely worthy of our connecting point for sure. Well, that wraps up another episode of Feeling Film. Glad to be back with you, Aaron. And coming up next week, we've got, uh, well, actually, I don't know what we have coming up. <laughs> yeah, I, we don't as of this moment. <laughs> I'm just glad that you didn't like want to disband the podcast now that I hear you were this close to just get bailing on us. <laughs> you were going to Dottie Henson me. <laughs> Luckily, you. I hope this I'm wasn't your World Series. Bob. <laughs> this is it. You came back to do Leo Their Own because we promised it, and now you're done. You're go- I'm going but back again, to again with Bob. Bill Pullman. I mean, <laughs> I, right. I can't fault you for it. <laughs> well, you know, we talked about this, and I mentioned it there at the top of the podcast, where we don't have a schedule anymore because all of the movies that we had planned are theatrical. Like, legitimately, almost all of them, I think we had one non-theatrical movie planned and it was my birthday weekend pick that i always do and that one's gonna stay the same because i want it to probably i don't see why we would need to change that but then i was like well why not take the opportunity to get people involved and so i threw this out there on twitter i I don't know that it got much attention it was kind of a bad time to put on twitter you know there's good times to tweet and bad times to tweet when people won't see things maybe people are just too busy i don't know but there did we did get a lot of votes on a poll in our feeling film discussion group and some movies recommended for us to cover. And so there's a list there. Uh, I looked up several of them that had I had interest in, Patrick. And so I'm going to throw two options to you because these two are relatively high on the voting list. Both of them are on Netflix because I love it when people have the opportunity to watch the movie we're talking about that week. And I have my kids this weekend. And so I wanted something that I could save and then watch with them for fun so this is basically your way of saying here's what we're gonna cover right (laughs) no i said two options i'm giving you two options (laughs) okay okay i'm not just picking so the two that i think would be really cool would be either john carter or the adventures of Tintin. 
Both of those got quite a few votes. Do you have strong feelings about either one of those? Um, I would say 10-10 sounds like a, a good one to do. All right. That's a win-win then. Win-win for 10-10. <laughs> Sorry. I just been saving that. I was hoping. I didn't have one for John Carter. <laughs> well, might have to barter for John Carter. <laughs> oh! Improv. See, we're coming back with new skills. Look at that. <laughs> Two weeks gave us a refreshing uh, chance to do stuff like that anyway yeah so i guess we're doing 10 10 next week so be sure to check that out um this will be a first time watch for me i haven't seen it i don't think yeah Ooh, you're in for you're gonna love it i have no doubt yeah this is the year of first time watches for patch and i guess it's gonna be the year of non-theatrical <laughs> first time watches for me so <laughs> thanks oh, i'm crying <laughs> please come back movie theaters <laughs> all right well aaron thanks for another great conversation and we'll talk soon hey everyone thanks again for listening if you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group very active in both places and would love to chat and if you want to connect with me you can find me at shoeless patch on both facebook and twitter be sure to tag me in any comments so that i'll be notified and not miss you once again thank you for listening we'll be back soon until then stay positive and keep feeling filmed